Welcome to the Talking Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Will Cheshire. And in this podcast, I speak with impact-driven founders and share their real-time stories about how their solution has a positive impact on society. This is a show for founders, investors, and all individuals looking for some positivity and optimism as you hear from people working hard to help better our society and our planet. You can expect to learn about some awesome new products and services in this show that will bring you more hope in our quest to solve some of society's biggest issues. Let's dive in to this week's episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. I'm excited to talk about the importance and impact of having an independent press in this episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. I sit down with Peter Whitehead, the Director of Communications at the Media Development Investment Fund. The Media Development Investment Fund, referred to as MDIF, provides affordable debt and equity financing to independent media in a range of countries where access to free and independent news is under threat. A free and independent press plays a well-sized role in holding governments accountable, exposing corruption, and enabling countries to have a platform of debate and trend towards a healthy democracy. As a broadcast journalism major, I know the importance and impact of news media, and I look forward to sharing this episode with you as we dive into its importance and also issues into what's wrong with media today. So let's dive in. Peter, thanks so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, Will. Peter, I always love to ask this at the very beginning so that the context is there and it's available for the listeners and things of that nature as well. And you, of course, can always do it better than I. Uh, Can you explain to us exactly the great solution and what Media Development Investment Fund does as a whole? Okay, so the great solution, the the problem and the solution. The problem is, um, is a lack of independent media. So by which I mean reliable, quality news and information. I know the whole world suffers from it to different degrees. But we're talking particularly about emerging markets. So there's a a deficit of this reliable information and MDIF comes along to try and solve that issue or be part of the solution to to that issue. And we're particularly focused on developing businesses, helping media businesses develop their own income streams and audiences so they can say no to dirty money so they don't have to rely on governments, oligarchs, vested interests of any kind who might seek to interfere with their editorial. So that's our our problem and solution. Fantastic. And, and just let's dive into that problem a little bit more, because I think for, for some people, specifically people that may live in you know the US or, or Canada or the UK and Europe and things of that nature as well, it's something that in our generations, we really haven't had to think about. But what happens when there is no independent media uh, to a country. What are some things that can occur if there is no independent media or if there is a media that is, like you said, tied to the government or tied to oligarchs or tied to any type of separate organization that might influence what they write? Yeah, independent media really do underpin, I would say they underpin the whole of democracy. They underpin economic development and democratic development, both social development also, in the sense that you know, independent media absolutely key to holding governments to account, businesses to account, to make sure that that we, you know, as people, as citizens, have a voice or heard or listened to, and actually that our interests are responded to. So, you know, in lots of countries, those mechanisms just don't exist. So what would happen is that the um, most media institutions, whether it's, you know, traditional newsprint or TV, radio, online, whatever it may be, are owned by you know, by governments, by political parties who constantly seek to control the narrative. I know that all of our, in all of our 
um, our countries, any you know, even dem democratic countries, of course, of course, business, uh, of course, governments wanted to direct the narrative, but there's no, it goes without any kind of check in so many countries around the world. You know, a vast proportion of people in the world live in countries where the press isn't free. Yeah, and that's something that can lead to a lot of issues, as you just talked about, and things of that nature as well. And, and you know, historically speaking, are there some examples that you can kind of give that are kind of specific and things of that nature as well that you might kind of see or, or ways that you can kind of see that as, as examples that can kind of put it into perspective a little bit for uh, the listeners? So, so just to give some, yeah, to give some sort of concrete examples of the type of um, of. Of, of sort of accountability, if you like, that, that the media can can um, can help foster it. Your corruption is obviously such a an endemic problem across so many countries, and corruption happens when people are not held to account. So when the powerful are not, you know, there's no exposure of their misdeeds of their, you know, whether it's um, misallocation of resources, whether it's effectively, you know, effectively theft to some extent. And independent media in lots of circumstances can actually shine the light and say, hey, this is not right. So, for example, we've worked with um, media in Guatemala, for example, where you're one of the most corrupt countries in the world, where you know, the problem has been going on for decades and it passes from one government to the next. Um, but even so, um, you know, we work, we've worked with a, a fantastic news, uh, news outlet there, um, El Periodico, and over nearly 20 years, pretty much, they have been exposing successive governments' corruption. So the, the 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 founder and the director of the publication is, as we speak, is in jail. He's been in jail for nearly two weeks now and is not expected to get out anytime soon. So the government have trumped up charges on money laundering, I think. That's such a common charge, um, you know, money laundering. And it's entirely unfounded, um, but it's a great way to silence his outlet to stop him, you know, shining a light on what the government doesn't want to be exposed. Yeah. You know, I think with journalism for me, it's a topic that, you know, hits home a little bit. You know, that's why I studied in college. It's what I kind of did from a professional perspective, albeit very lightly because it was sports. So and not investigative sports or anything of that nature as well. So I always think it's really important to uh, kind of dive into what exactly the free press does and, and how important it is to democracy and things of that nature as well. So it's it's super important. Like, you know, you look at the political climate today and you look at um, some of those, you know, countries in the media and it's a lot different than what it was maybe 20 years ago, you know, and that could be attributed to the the rise of the internet, social media, the the transformation of advertising from print to, to digital, things of that nature as well. Uh, and then, you know, but the one thing, and now they attack presidents or they own presidents mail, and I'm speaking primarily with the U.S. here from, from what I see, um, but, you know, you see presidents may only take questions from, you know, CNN or Fox from a national perspective. And one thing that I think gets really overshadowed now is that news is no longer hyper local as much as it really was, you know, some years ago. I would be curious as you as a professional who's been around here for a while, can you explain why local journalism is so important and the fact that it's kind of dying in some areas and, and why that's kind of so negative? Because I, to me personally, People get caught up in these issues and they're important issues, but sometimes these issues have no effect on their actual day to day community or in their even in their states or things of that nature. So you just talk a little bit about some key differences there between the local and the national press and, and why the local is really important to communities as well. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a great point. And it's something that is 
it's not unique to the US, but it is, I think, massively amplified in the US. I think which is so used to having you know, every every town has its paper. You know, that was the way that um, that the press, the printed press, developed in the US. I think, um, and I think on on a really simple level, it's 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 that what I mentioned before, accountability. It's holding local town halls to account. You know, it's it's to make sure that the procedures are followed in the you know some of the m- most mundane things possible to make sure that the proper procedures are followed in local government, um, that decisions are made properly, that you know. Um, resources are allocated fairly. I think all of that is, you know, super important. Um, but it it extends, you know, beyond that accountability function, which is, as I say, is important. Um, you know, locally and nationally and internationally. You know, from healthcare, for example, for um, you know during the COVID crisis we've been through, how important, you know, locally and nationally to individuals was reliable information on the vaccine rollout, for example. Um, you know, there's been obviously such a lot of uh, misinformation that's been, that's, you know, surged across the whole world, but the US has been very much part of that and has suffered massively from that. And, you know, having reliable local outlets that you can trust, and trust is, a is um, you know, is such an important point that you know, we may come back to at some point you know, during our conversation. But if you have that level of trust, particularly on a local level, then I think you can you can take your own you can take responsibility for your own actions because you are acting with you know with information that you think is reliable and that you know is reliable and you can make valid decisions for yourself and about your own health or education or whatever other subject it may be. Yeah, absolutely. And and let's dive into that a little bit and talk a little bit about the trust, because that's obviously I think when you bring up the media today in parts of the UK and, and in the US and in, you know, all across the world in some spots as well, media distrust has has gone up quite a bit. People don't trust the media like they used to. Uh, I read that from a local perspective, they still trust it higher than a national perspective, but it's still just not there. And, and I definitely want to dive into the solution for MDIF, that's Media Development Investment Fund, and all the clients that you do, the financing y'all provide and the success that they have. But uh, I'd love to get your professional opinion as well on, on what do you think the biggest issues are with the media today? And, and maybe we can select on a national level, since I think this is where it's most apparent and in, 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 for what I see, of course. I mean, it depends. Are you are you talking about the U.S. particularly or, or, or globally? I think from a global perspective, that would be great to share that. I think from a national perspective in terms of like the U.S., I see this happening in the U.S., Australia, and in the U.K., where it's kind of similar, where you kind of have almost two parties with two different ways that they interpret the news that's best accustomed for maybe their individual party and things of that nature. And it kind of is very partisan news. It's not, in my opinion, objective. There's always, and, and look, you can't, as a journalist, it's very difficult to be 100% objective, right? Because you're, you're a human being and you're always going to be writing with the choice of words, but you do your best in, 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 in the way that goes. But I would be more curious to just see, in my opinion, that has to do with advertising and things of that nature as well. So just your professional opinion on what you kind of see from maybe that US, UK, you know, Australia style level, and then maybe from a global level as well. Well, I'm, I'm, Certainly, wouldn't be. I'm certainly not here to defend media companies in um, in your country or in mine in the UK or in Australia. Um, there is a depressing amount of of partisanship, and there's a depressing amount of media companies and journalists who are not following what I would call, you know, 
professional effectively professional ethics you know there's the there's the the factual news which you say is you know is one thing that we should all be able to agree on but that isn't the case at the moment i think the the political agendas of the news companies um are just so extreme and they're desperation to um, to build audiences and I think that is partly fueled by what they've seen on social media and they've seen that you know stirring up emotions is a great way to attract an audience and I think that has been uh, that is a, a tactic that, that that media companies on you know, both sides of the Atlantic and beyond have used and I think it's um, it's damaging for our democracies and it's damaging for our people um, yeah if we uh, the sooner we can move past this you know the, the better I, I I do I do fear for all of us to some extent with the partisanship and it needs to come to an end it's it's driving I think the political divide and the lack of you know conversation between the generally speaking two sides of politics um, but it also reflects that I think it's a, it's a little bit of both Um and I think we're in a well. I suppose the 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 only saving feature, to some extent, is that there is plurality of news. So there are different sides. It's not as though you know it's a lot of the countries we work in, there is only one side. You know, there is the government side, and that is it. But at least there are some outlets that that you you can you can choose. You know, different political aspects, political opinions. And you you will be able to find some outlets you can you can trust the factual um, nature of their reporting as well. Yeah, and that is a luxury that we have. Uh, you're 100 percent right, you know, and that's exactly kind of what I brought up at the beginning, which I think is really important, and why we're going to dive into that solution right now on that on that front is that we talk about our problems, and the problems have kind of evolved when you're in the the U.S. or the U.K. or, or more democratic countries with the press, because you like you said, if you really want to, you can go read a a CNN article or a Guardian article, and then you can go read the Daily Mail, and then you can go read Fox News or whatever. You can get kind of both sides of the aisle from the UK and the US, and there are a bunch of other ones as well. But the big issue is, from a global perspective, historically speaking, and why I think you all have such a fantastic solution, is that you're enabling these companies to kind of, in these uh, countries that are maybe working on becoming more democratic, or where there is only one side, you're providing solutions to opportunities for the, they can either be more independent, where they're maybe not in... Uh, for lack of a better phrase, the pocket of a, another organization or another completely different company that might be able to bring up different views and counteract these things and hold people accountable and things of that nature as well. So I'd love to kind of get into that portion of what MDIF does and the solution that you all have have gotten. And, and what are some of the different ways you touched on briefly earlier, but what are some of the different ways that you all work within countries and kind of start with that process at the beginning and identify where you can provide a lot of value into kind of helping raise the press and these companies that are trying to create more freedom of press and, and create more free speech opportunities and, and hold governments and, and other entities accountable. We're taking a quick time out to recommend my book recommendation of the week. This week, I want to highlight a book that I just finished from the library, and it's called Why We're Polarized by Ezra Klein. This book goes into an in-depth analysis and interest of America's political system and how it's evolved to create more partisanship and division than ever before. It's a really interesting read, and Klein, 
a journalist, co-founder of Vox, and a New York Times contributor, shows how and why politics in America polarized around identity in the 20th century and how it affects how we see the world and one another. Klein doesn't lament, lament, but instead shows a clear framework of understanding all from Trump's rise to the Democratic Party's leftward shift to politicizing everyday culture. I recommend this read and think it's a great compliment to this podcast episode as well. So let's dive back into the episode with Peter Whitehead of the Media Development Investment Fund. So we are a, a, a very unusual organization in that we are part human rights organization and part an investment fund. So as the name gives away, Media Development Investment Fund takes both of those elements. So we provide capital. We work from very much a business perspective, from a business point of view. The problem we're trying to solve, as I say, is the the economic independence of independent media companies so that they can protect their editorial independence. Um, So we provide equity financing and loan financing. We've been going for 25 years and have provided more than $250 million worth of financing in different ways. So we provide capital financing in lots of countries where we work. The only capital that a media company can borrow comes with strings attached, which comes back to that that point that we mentioned earlier about, about political parties, entities, actually managing to get a hold, you know, get control, editorial control or interference of the companies to drive the agenda, to drive the news narrative. So we are trying to provide the, um, the levers that you'll, if you like, for media businesses to develop their own robust businesses so they don't need to rely on, um, on these corrupt vested interests, if you like. So we've, uh, so we'll provide a loan to a company on low, on a, low cost basis for maybe five years, seven years, um, or an equity investment. And we also provide medical, uh, medical, media management, technical assistance. By that, I mean that we will bring strategic advice and assistance you know, in financial systems and business plans and um, digital advertising, whatever it may be, to try and give those businesses the edge over their competitors so they can perform well in the market and provide a return to us because we're we're a not-for-profit, but we are an investment fund. So we make investments on an investment, yeah, investment basis. We expect to get the money returned to us with interest or with returns on our equity investment. Um, it doesn't always happen, but that is that, that's the um, intention of every single investment that we make. Yeah, that's fantastic as well, right? I mean, you still have to run a good proper business. And that's something that I think we saw with a lot of companies and, you know, with, in the media industry as well, that kind of went belly up or things of that nature as well, is that maybe they didn't adapt and, and having that kind of equity to come in or those resources to grow. So I'd love to hear some success stories and, and what you've seen from working with clients. You mentioned the five years that it might be. I know that you can they can expect, you know, three, four hundred percent revenue growth, things of that nature as well. And in some cases, uh, the the companies that y'all have worked with, you mentioned Guatemala and, and the excellent work that, you know, the El Periodico has and things of that nature. So I'd love to hear uh, just a little bit more and on some of the success that you guys have seen in the the years uh, that you all have been working. Well, we've been, we've been working for 26 years now and in 45 countries. Um, we started working in Eastern and Central Europe. So Originally, we were set up by a Serbian journalist and media manager to help media companies transitioning out of the former Soviet Union, out of communist systems who weren't used to market 
market systems, market um, market forces, to try and help them develop the business skills they needed. Um, and it developed quite quickly. We could see actually the same was, say, Indonesia, which is coming out of Sahatu in the late 90s. You know, it has, they have similar problems and the media there needed similar assistance. So, for example, if I can give a, you know, a, a few concrete examples. In Malaysia, um, so Malaysia has been run by a by effectively one party, one controlling coalition since independence in um, in the very early 1960s. And in 2018, for the first time, they were voted out of out of power. So there's been a, you know, a, a, some kind of democracy in the sense that people are allowed to vote, but actually people don't aren't given the information to make decisions. And in 2018 was pretty much the first time that um, that they really, well, Malaysia Kini, our client, was absolutely the forefront of making sure everybody had the information. They provide information on every candidate standing for elections. Um, they had election monitors monitors reporting at the election state at the election at the polling stations you know as people voted and towards the declaration they even called the count uh, before anybody else and that was the first transition of power away from the ruling coalition and that was again for Malaysia Kini that was 20 years of work and we had been working with them for most of that time you know, provided them with um, with equity investments and all sorts of other, you know, assistance. They do all the hard work. You know, they're the ones who, and the brave work as well. You must say that, um, you know, some of these guys face incredible pressure. I was mentioning before about um, about El Periodico and the, the founder who's in jail at the moment, you know, he's suffered a mock execution in front of his family, you know, 15 years ago or so. Um, and this is, this, these are the kinds of, you know, the courage that some of these people take and how seriously take, they take the mission of independent media, which I think shames us all, you know, when it comes to, you know, you see the media that some of the media, only that we are, you know, experience in our own countries. And it's, it's almost like, it's almost another business, you know, it's not... It's, it's comparing apples and pears, really. Yeah, it really is. And that's where I want to make sure that, you know, it, it's a privilege. I mean, that we are discussing these issues and these problems, because like you said, they're just completely different. It's a completely different comparison. So you can't really put it into the same category. Right. But they're 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 different on that front. And, you know, in my travels, you know, I've been to, to Colombia, you know, and, and I knew somebody who was volunteering and he was from Europe and he was coming in to volunteer. And it was back in 2019 when there was a bit of a bit of some uneasiness going on in Colombia at that time. And he was part of the paper and they were getting, he was getting death threats. They were getting death threats at the paper. Like, Hey, if you come out and report these news, you know, and things of that nature as well. And that's serious stuff. It takes a lot of courage, like you said, to go into that. And, and that's why I think the work that these people are doing is, is remarkable in the passion. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that the passion that they have for allowing their people to have freedom of choice with a great opportunity of information uh, to make educated decisions, whether that's from a political perspective or a health perspective, whatever it might be. I, I would imagine these journalists and these people you work with are some of the most passionate people you come across. You're absolutely right. They are. So, yeah, we work in Ukraine. So we've been working in Ukraine for 20 years, pretty much. And so we have, um, we work with about five companies um, in different parts of Ukraine when Russia invaded. We used to work in Russia as well, actually, until we were declared um, undesirable by the government in 2016, but so we can no longer work there. But we have clients in Ukraine, as I say, in some in the east of the country, in Melitopol and Kherson. 
you know, parts of the country that have been overrun now, that have been occupied, and Russia is now about to hold you know, referenda in these places to take them into part of Russia. And the, the courage that they show is just, and their passion for, as you say, the passion for informing people. It's, it's just, a, it is a calling. I think it really is a calling. Um, and so, what, so when we start to work with a media company, what we, what we do is we, we make sure, we do our due diligence first to make sure that they, they produce editorial of the right quality and they, they follow all the professional standards and produce quality material and then we get, let them get on with it. So our mission is very much is not to interfere in their editorial. You know, lots of support or media support organizations, which are great, you do some great work, but they, they will, a lot of them have a mandate to improve the standards of journalism. And ours is actually expressly not to do that. So we, if they hit a benchmark, then we help them develop a business around that journalism, which 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 is very unusual from the, from the in the media development world. Um, so we are trying to help them, say, develop all those um, their resilience and their independence, um, but based on a on a really good. Um, system of journalism. Yeah, that's fantastic. You, you talk about some of the, I guess, brief requirements that, that you look for and things of that nature as well. But how do you find these independent companies in this in, in these countries? Do you have countries that you kind of have identified where you kind of seek out and see what they're going? Are these people in, in, in organizations that are coming to you all? Or, or how does that process kind of look? Well, it's, it's a bit of everything. You know, so we've, over the years, we've tried lots of different ways. But actually, one of the ways that has, tends not to work is by identifying a country and going there and visiting and meeting and finding out about all the uh, all the media there that tends not to be the best way it often comes through through reference through word of mouth through media that we've worked with um, who hear about us in whatever form it may be um, and uh, and yeah I would say pretty much it's the, the the best way is by is by referral from somebody who's worked with us. That's a staple in business, right? Referrals, word of mouth. That's always what makes the uh, the businesses churn, right? So uh, love to see it on that front and totally makes sense that it obviously doesn't make a lot of, uh, I don't think a lot of people would like that to identify one thing and then try to go in and, and do something about it on that front. So when you have these companies and you're working with them and, and you're kind of doing some investing, are you doing a lot of consulting with that as well? Or is it more just kind of monetary transactions on that front? Or is there some type of like, resource work in terms of, hey, this is how you should kind of manage your finances some business development practices and things of that nature. Yeah, it's there's a lot of the second. There's a lot of the consultancy advisory that we, so we provide that to all of our clients who want it. They don't all want it. Almost all of them do. One of the main reasons that they would want to work with us is for that. So it's partly for the capital, um, but also partly for the advisory. So we can provide, you know, international expert yeah, opinion on new business plans, on strategies, on advertising, whatever it may be, membership models, which is the current, you know, currently very popular for digital um, news players. Um, so yes, yeah, so we provide a lot of that to go with the, um, uh, with the financing, which not only, um, you know, it, it obviously helps those businesses directly, but also helps us de-risk our investments at the same time, because it's it's fair to say that our investments are pretty risky. Um, and the sorts of country that we can we can work in, in lots of ways, it's it's almost the sort of the middle tier is our sweet spot, if you like. So we don't work in, 
you know, in countries with an established free press. We just don't do that. Um, and we can't work in the least development, in either the least developed or the most repressive countries. So, for example, China, you know, we couldn't work in China because there is no independent media. Um, and that's that's true in quite a lot of countries. But similarly, we also we couldn't work in South Sudan, you know, where there the, the market isn't strong enough to support an independent media. In countries like that, they're dependent on grants from media support organizations, which is which is great. It's the only way that they will be they will have a chance to develop to the next level where they might be able to take on some make take on a small loan or have prepare themselves for equity investment. So we work in that middle bland. So countries everywhere from you know you know, India and Nepal to Brazil and Paraguay, um, Malawi, Botswana, you know, that, that it's quite a broad category. Um, but one thing that we also do in, in, the, in some countries that aren't, either aren't quite ready for us, um, particularly countries that aren't quite ready for us, we do actually provide, we've got some sort of standalone media development projects which support innov either innovation or support um, just to really, really help media businesses get onto that first rung. So we work in, say, Myanmar and Ethiopia, where the markets aren't certainly in Myanmar now, um, but even in Ethiopia, the market is barely strong enough to support loans and investment. You're just about, which I think it's just about there, but we provide, we can raise funds separately to provide them with small grants and lots of advisory, lots of consultancy to try and help them develop businesses that are strong enough to move on to the next step. Yeah, that's an interesting. And what are kind of those first steps when you're in that? So take it, the Ethiopian example, you know, and where they're barely kind of hanging in there and they can get started and things of that nature. What are some of the key things that they need to be doing to kind of develop themselves as a business, but also in, into that independency so that they don't feel like they need to take any type of outside, you know, influential money or anything like that? The first thing, the first step in lots of cases is developing a business plan. So a journalist will have been working for, perhaps a state institution or for some other media outlet and decide, hey, listen, I can do that. I'm an editor here. I want to run my own company. I want to run it better. I want to make sure it's independent. But that they start running it, they start working it and running it and might realize, but actually, how do you sell advertising? You know, how do you do a prepare a rate card? So it can be it can be simple steps like that to make to help them make their company more attractive and to make their company, you know, understand what is needed, what the market will require. Um, and also very often actually identifying functions within the, the company. You know, you need a sales manager. Whereas, you know, it may be that actually we've got we've got six journalists and we hadn't really thought about much beyond that, but actually you need a sales team to support. You've got to invest in the sales team to support the um, the editorial longer term. So it can be it can be you know, all of those, you know, sort of simple steps, helping you decide on the right technology, you know, for example, or, um, you know, a, a really functional website design, a, a CRM, whatever it is. It's it's some of those simple steps that will provide the basics for them to, to build their business on. Yeah, of course, that makes so much sense that you have to start. I mean, you're really taking these journalists and then you're saying, hey, what you are is a journalist, but now you need to start thinking like a business person as well. Um, so it makes total sense that you start kind of from that ground up business plan um, perspective there on that front. I, I'd be curious to hear, too, about um, maybe some of 
the time and effort that it takes. I mean, you've mentioned working in countries for 20 years and, and it takes, you know, that, that long to kind of grow with it. Is that, uh, is that a matter of getting them self-sufficient from a business perspective? Is it a matter of getting the public to raise their trust in that independent organization as well? Or like, what are some of the metrics that kind of go into how long it kind of takes for things to be efficient and effectively kind of run? There are lots of factors. You've identified some of the most important there, but another overriding feature in lots of ways is the will of the government. So if a government decides, no, we're going back, we don't want any progression, then it can be very tough to counter that. So in lots of cases, I think the media we work with are just encouraging those steps, are moving along with it. We wouldn't say that, you know, our client, you know, Malaysia Keeney brought about democracy or, a, you know, in Malaysia, that's not quite how it works. You know, but they're a, they're a contributing factor to it. And if the politics change, then, you know, our clients, the media we work with, that also changes. And also as well, you know, the economic development of a country can be, um, can make a massive difference. So, you know, in the the very early 2000s, we invested quite heavily in Southeast Europe, in former Yugoslavia. So as it was going through its civil wars, through the wars and the, the disintegration of, of, uh, of former Yugoslavia, so in you know Croatia and Serbia and Montenegro, Kosovo, as, as it became as well. Um, but so, for example, Croatia, we, we invested in Croatia, which at the time in 1999 or 2000, when we first worked there, was effectively run by an autocrat, by a dictator. And now it's a well-established member of the European Union. So it's, you know, the country has been on a journey that has transformed the lives of, of people and the government as well. Um, and our clients made a, you know, a very small part of that, but they were part of that journey. And there's always the chance that, you know, that, that they, that we will experience this upside in, in any market we work, we work in but it doesn't always follow. So I mentioned Russia before. We, we worked in Russia. It was one of the first countries we worked in. And we worked there for, um, uh, must have been about 15 years, I think it was, um, until the Putin government in 2016 decided that we were um, an irritant, you know, that we supported the independent media, which he did not. And so we were declared undesirable and banned and it became illegal for anybody in Russia to contact us or for us to be in touch with anyone in Russia. So, you know, that wasn't, that was the result of a, a hardening of the political line. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it's, it's in, the, in those circumstances, you know, we live with the cards we dealt with. Right. You can't do anything if the, the people in power and control don't want you there uh, and, and they don't want to do anything. And, and that's um, always going to be a tremendous challenge. On the flip side of that, though, have you had experiences with governments and that where you have moved in and, and they're for it and they're supportive and things of that nature as well? Or is it when you do have the success, it's kind of like they're just out of the way, staying out of the way and let you kind of do the thing? It's it's. Um... It's it's yeah. It certainly goes both ways. As I say, we 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 have what we would bill as you know, real successes as countries develop. Um, but I say it's, we're just not necessarily claiming credit for that. So um, you know, in countries like you know, Kosovo, for example, is is it's not perfect. Kosovo, the the um, 
the media freedom situation at the moment, but it's an awful lot better than it was and an awful lot better than it is in some surrounding countries. And you know, we, we've invested in the, the leading independent TV broadcaster and radio broadcaster there, and they have undoubtedly had you know, a major influence on the, the, the improvement economically and politically of their country. They're not the only factor, but it's, it's certainly part of it. And yeah, we see that in, um, in, in lots of countries. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, of course, just because you have independent press and freedom, you know, it, that's not going to turn into 100 percent. Oh, great. We're a democracy. You know, <laughs> not not exactly how it works on that front. But I do think it plays a major tool as a, a huge tool in the in the toolbox of that development, if you will, for lack of a better metaphor, um, because it, it really enables uh, citizens and individuals, if they're given the right information from all sides to make those educated decisions based on what they want to vote for, things of that nature as well. And it's a great empowerment tool kind of on that front, which I think is, you know, invaluable to a lot of to a lot of countries and, and to a lot of citizens. I think it's something that we take for granted that, you know, like you mentioned at the very beginning, at least we have multiple news sources that we can kind of pull from and compare views because that's not always the case. And uh, it really is a luxury and a privilege. Well, the, uh, you, I totally agree with you. And I think it's, um, it's, it's easy to forget the importance of, of independent news and information across the board. So, you know, in political terms, of course, in economic terms as well, but actually in, um, for all the, the sustainable development goals and all the UN, UN's SDGs, um, I would say are underpinned by free and reliable news and information. So if you are talking about, you know, um, you know, gender equality, if you're talking you know, about um, minority rights, if you're talking about um, hunger, poverty, say hunger, for example, you know, Amartya Sen, the um, um, Nobel Prize laureate for economics, and also Joseph Stiglitz, another Nobel Prize winner for um, uh, economics. You know, Amartya Sen said, you know, there's, there's no country that he's aware of that has suffered a famine that has a free press. So it's a question of, you know, holding the authorities to account, but also sharing the information so people can make rational decisions and the people in positions of power make rational decisions too. Yeah, that's such a good point. I didn't even think about that. I mean, you're giving information learning. I mean, that's another thing as well that people forget that you can read in the papers. People write facts based on research studies that they've read that are done in other parts of the world, that if you're even have an independent press that's free to report on that and create that, I mean, that's a power of knowledge. That's the definition of the power of knowledge and uh, another great impact that it kind of has on, on that front. And then, of course, for you know, women's health is something I can think of within the last you know, 30, 40 years that has kind of kicked off and, and really progressed. Uh, and I'm sure that the news media probably played a big role in that with just the ability to create information in some of these countries. You know, Guatemala would be a perfect example of that uh, or something like that, where in some of these countries, like it, it's improved a bit and the information is improved. So um, I think that's great. Um, you know, Peter, kind of transitioning a little bit and, and to kind of move into it, you know, what can people do to help you all out, whether that's, uh, you know, following on social media, engaging on things like that, uh, nonprofit, you know, what type of ways can people donate and, and get on this as well? Because hopefully after listening to this a little bit, they understand a bit more about the importance of a freedom of press and, and, and helping these people out and these organizations so that they can empower or be a tool to empower the citizens of these of these countries as well. So, so how can people kind of contribute? 
Let's take a quick break to shed some light on some of the dangers honest and independent journalists can face in places that do not allow free access to freedom of press and limit a journalist in doing their job independently. Since the start of the decade in 2020, there have been 144 journalists who have been killed, 294 that are imprisoned, and a reported 64 missing journalists. These can be for a variety of reasons as discussed in this episode, and that includes being murdered, being on a dangerous assignment, being shot in crossfire, and imprisoned and kidnapped for anti-state news or retaliatory purposes. These regions include Latin America, the Middle East, Africa, and parts of Asia. And for me personally, it's a privilege to know that we have access to an independent press that though has its many flaws, still allows us to see through a lens of different perspectives. All of this information and data has come from the Committee to Protect Journalists, cpj.org. So let's jump back into this episode about how MDIF is helping journalist organizations become independent and financially sufficient to help solve these problems. Like any other nonprofit, we're obviously always open to um, to donations, but actually the the model for MDIF, the way that we work, our own model is business-based, so we encourage investments. So people can invest anything from $1,000 um, in MDIF, and we will provide a return you know, of whatever percentage is, is decided on. It depends on the, um, the size of the investment, but an investment in us provides us with capital that we can invest in independent media around the world. We get some back and we pass it on to the investors in MDIF. So um, so just go to our website, mdif.org, um, and there are ways to invest in there and just connect with us. Um, and that's, uh, that's probably the best way directly for us. And there are so many urgent, um, urgent, needs for for independent media for independent journalists around the world you know this is our model but there are other models there are organizations that try and get journalists out of jail um or try and make sure that there's no impunity for murdering journalists um so whether it's cpj or rsf there's all sorts of organizations out there that i'm sure people can find but if you're interested in the investment model um and supporting the sustainability of independent media then just check out our website and have a look for um ways to support us there you go be a part of an investment some ethical investing if you will uh on this front so it's a fantastic way to if you got some extra cash and you want to do some investments uh, to invest in the in the media of other countries and things of that nature you can get a return on that as well and i would encourage you to do some reading as well on some of these other organizations uh that are helping uh, journalists get out of jail or, or helping limit violence or things of that nature as well because that is a real problem in, in some of these countries on that front as well. Peter, I'd love to ask you as well, uh, just for consumers out there. Uh, I know we briefly touched on it before, if you're in the US or the UK, and there's just this kind of intimidating, overwhelming climate of news sometimes. You know, what are some tips that you would uh, uh, recommend to people, to uh, consumers or whomever, to try to consume their news these days, both maybe on a local, national, global level? You know, what are some tips and, and good practices to kind of digest news today? I think for me personally, it's about the source just make sure your source is right. You know, trust the source. You do the original initial research into who it is you get your news from. Or if something just comes through your stream or whatever it may be, then just, just I suppose it's a, it's a mixture of skepticism 
you know, check it out, make sure it's right. And then once you believe, once you have some, some, some trust in that organization, in that provider, um, then actually then you can start to consume sort of more, more openly. But I think you, I think everybody has to approach the media with a certain level of skepticism at the moment, unfortunately. And the problem of misinformation is just getting worse. Um, and it's something that, you know, we all have to be aware of, particularly on social media, but not just on social media. So it's a question of, yeah, for me, mixing a bit of a bit of skepticism um, with, you know, once you have that fundamental basis, then actually you can you can give some trust. I think some good advice. Correct me if I'm wrong here. How about be your own journalist a little bit? Do a little independent research on yourself. You know, trust that source. Maybe find some others and and compare and contrast and digest and create and formulate your own opinion, huh? Yeah. I like it. I like it. There we go. A little bit of that uh, education paying off for me. <laughs> you can you can tell you studied some journalism somewhere along the way. <laughs> awesome. Peter, hey, anything else that you would like to add uh, that maybe we missed uh, today? I, I know y'all got a newsletter, I think, at MDIF, which I would imagine would be a great way for people to stay informed. But anything else that you would like to add in general just about uh, the issues of, of independent and free press? I think we've, we've covered all sorts here. I think it's just the... If it was one one impression that I'd like to leave people with, it's just the 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 wide, the broad nature of independent media, and for people not to be too scarred by their own experiences in their own country. Um, that actually, it's uh, you know the importance of of, um, of reliable news information is just you know it can't be overstated in so many countries in the world, um, and it's something actually we need to you know all just actually just get a little bit beyond ourselves, our own little borders that we're familiar with and um, and open our eyes to the bigger picture. There's a whole entire world out there. Expand those lenses, get after it, and maybe you won't find as depressing news as either as well. You'll be able to find uh, some maybe some positivity out there and some growth factors of people that are being enabled in way. And, and like you said as well, uh, I, I think that's great advice to not get caught up in your own experience. I mean, news journalism, independent press, has been at the forefront of uncovering some very bad scandals and some things and that would have never been uncovered and we would have never known had it not been for uh, an independent press and things of that nature as well. So it's a tremendously important part of of a democracy, of a, of a society and, and of the freedom of information and things of that nature as well. So Peter, thank you so much for for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed this conversation and, and having you on, and, and I thank you so much. Thanks, Will. I really enjoyed it. That's the Director of Communications at the Media Development Inst Investment Fund, excuse me, also known as MDIF, Mr. Peter Whitehead, joining us here on the Talk and Solutions podcast to talk about the fantastic work they are doing investing in independent media, and you can be an investor as well. If you go to their uh, website, mdif.org, you can find out ways that you can invest into the fund, even get a return. Uh, at that level as well. You can sign up for their newsletter to get more information. And, and as always, I encourage you to uh, find out some ways to learn more about what what independent media really is and what it means for some of these countries, because I do believe that it gets lost here in some, you know, specifically the U.S. where I'm from, where we kind of take things for granted. I mean, as uh, Peter mentioned, you know, in, in China, there is no independent free press or anything like that. So there, there is no options there. So definitely make sure that you kind of understand uh, the privilege luxury you have there. And, and, and if you have an opportunity, invest a little bit in it and you get some money back in return for the great work that MDIF does. Of course, we'll have all the links available uh, throughout the week on the website. And then, of course, within the uh, social media as well. So that is going to wrap up this edition of the Talking Solutions podcast. I appreciate you all for listening. If you've got any questions, comments, or anything like that about this show, go ahead and contact me. I'd be happy to respond on that. And if you enjoyed it, always, always hit the subscribe button if you are looking for a good 
and uh, podcast for some positive news and great solutions on that front. And if you could drop a rating as well. Until next time, I hope everybody enjoys the rest of their week. Thanks for listening to the Talking Solutions Podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode and check out all of our guests on our website at cheshtech.com. That's C-H-E-S-H-T-E-C-H.com to learn more as we continue our mission of supporting impact-driven founders. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Talking Solutions Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talking Solutions. If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate a review and a recommendation to a friend as we focus on highlighting these great founders and individuals providing solutions to societal problems and bringing optimism into the world.